This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Robin Hilton from NPR Music, and today I'm excited to share the third episode of NPR's new season of Louder Than a Riot with you. This season, Louder Than a Riot is digging into the unwritten rules of rap and the rule breakers who refuse to play nice. In this episode, they dig into the ways in which the male gaze body checks women in hip-hop on the regular. This is the pervasive idea that everything women do must be in service of what straight men want to see. And it's definitely not unique to rap, but the most consumed genre in America has excelled at turning women's bodies into capital like no other. This week on Ladder, we've got three artists, Dream Doll, Baby Tate, and Dochi. They've all met the gays head on and pushed back against having their bodies policed in very personal and deeply structural ways. In the process, they've learned how to reclaim their bodies, show them off, and make art that challenges the status quo. I hope you enjoy the episode. A warning before we begin. This podcast is explicit in every way. When did you first start to think that surgery was an option? What interested you in it? Honestly, what interested me in surgery was I was in a relationship and he used to always make fun of my football. And for y'all, I don't know what FUPA is. It's fat upper pussy area. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you could curse on here, but that's what it is. Yeah, you can curse. Yeah, go. That's Dream Doll, the Bronx rapper short in height, only about five feet tall, with a very curvaceous stature. She definitely got that ah-ah-ah. I got the hookah, who got the bottles, who got the ah-ah-ah. Got a new bitch, got a new body, got a new ah-ah-ah. And she's open about how her body got that way. So he used to, like, always make fun of, like, my, you know, my little love handles and stuff. So I was like, come on. I was so young. I was in a relationship. He was making me feel insecure about stuff. And then I wound up going to get me a nice little lipo. And then I wound up leaving him after I got the lipo. But it was like I thought about it after. Like, did I just really go get my waist snatched for this man? It wasn't just a whack boyfriend telling her how her body should look. Because those messages were everywhere when Dream was coming up. It was the early 2000s, peak of the video vixen era in rap, where women with big booties were getting name recognition in songs, magazine spreads, even awards for being super voluptuous. Yeah, in the 2010s, celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Nicki Minaj were setting a new standard for an exaggerated aesthetic. Whether an artist or arm candy, hip-hop made it clear that having a baddie body was required for entry. Do you feel like... Getting some of the some of these surgeries was like cost for investing in yourself. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was definitely an investment for myself. I seen a change in my life, and it's fucked up. But I, it's my story. So this pressure that magazines, label execs, and boyfriends put on Dream and people like her, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's a direct result of the male gaze. The idea that everything women do is in the eye of what cis straight men want to see. And from watching video vixens, to working bottle service at a strip club, to entering the rap game herself, Dream definitely knew what straight men wanted to see. If you're fire, there's no reason why my talent, like my talent should always speak first. Um, And I feel like it don't be like that. It's like, it's really unfair. You know, I just feel like it's just always about 
what's on the outside first. Dream felt watched by that gaze, and it led her to getting lipo and then a breast enhancement. But the surgery she really wanted, though, was a BBL. A BBL is a Brazilian butt lift. That's when you turn your butt to a gut. I mean, sorry. That's when you turn your that's when you turn your gut to a butt. How you do that? Lipo. You lipo wherever you want to remove and you put it wherever you want to put it or you can throw it away. It's up to you. Today, BBLs are well known. In fact, in the past 10 years in the U.S., the BBL has become one of the most popular cosmetic procedures. There's tons of easy ways to find info about it. But back in the 2010s, testimonials and advice about getting the procedure were hard to come by. When I first thought about getting a BBL, I was asking people a lot. I was like on Real Self and I'm a review queen. I'm gonna read everything. So I was doing research for a very long time. I feel like people use their doctor as like the Krabby Patty formula. And people don't wanna put people on. I just was like, I wanna talk about it, you know? But the secrecy did not stop dreaming. In 2012, at 20 years old, she got that work. I went to Columbia and I got my first BBL. I was just a little scared a little bit because I heard it's so painful. But coming back from Columbia with that waist teeny body dreamy, Dream initially loved the results she got. Like I got I had these nice hips and a little booty. The fat literally erased. I would never forget. But it didn't last. I'm Rodney Carmichael. I'm Sydney Madden. And from NPR Music, this is Louder Than a Riot. Where we confront the double standard that's become the standard. On every episode this season, we tackle one unwritten rule of hip-hop that affects the most marginalized among us and holds the entire culture back. And one that a new generation of rap refuses to stand for. On this episode, we're going to break down how the male gaze leaves those of us under it objectified, consumed, and shamed for not fitting into the mold. This is called body policing, and it happens everywhere, especially in hip-hop. We're telling the stories of three artists who've all dealt with their bodies being policed in different ways. Dream Doll takes me through the cost of chasing perfection. Someone always has something to say. Everybody has a comment on your body. It's like, if you're natural, they're talking about it. If you have surgery done, they have something to say. It's just always something to say. Baby Tate teaches me how to clap back at the haters. People think it's fun. It's like, ooh, let's all join in and bash on the black woman. Ki, 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 ki. And Dochi breaks down how she took on the patriarchy by bearing it all. It's something about the woman's body specifically that really triggers people. On this episode, rule number three, beauty is in the eye of the male gaze. So talk to me about Life in Plastic 3. This is the finale. Is there? There's not going to be another one, right? No, this, this is, is a trilogy. This is the finale, Life in Plastic 3. 
This is me closing. This is my closure. When I sat down with Dream back in September of last year, she had just dropped her third album in a trilogy called Life in Plastic. If someone had never heard of this trilogy before, why did you name it Life in Plastic? What's the metaphor to it? I named my project Life in Plastic because I feel like people just look at me like a pretty face sometimes um, or a nice picture. I'm not just this girl from Instagram that can sit there and smile in a picture and wear nice stuff. No, I got a story just like everybody else. I got a check for telling y'all bitches, talk to me nice or don't talk to me twice. Now, maybe y'all listen. Dream used the Life in Plastic trilogy to tell her story. And a big part of that story began when she started getting work done on her body. So I always thought about Dream Doll, the doll you would dream to be. That's what, what, that's what I did when I kind of created my character. Life in Plastic has songs like Barbie Girl that talk about becoming a fantasy. Thanks in part to surgeries like the BBL, Dream Got Done in Columbia. Uh-huh. That's why I'm sicker than his last watch. Body perfect, it was worth it. Uh-huh. But after her BBL started wearing off, Dream was still feeling that pressure to achieve and keep the ideal body. In Life in Plastic 2, she talks about that frustration. They don't see my potential. My pictures off IG. Cause fuck likes, it's no love left inside. I have these nice hips and a little booty. And it literally erased. Like, I was working out and it was like my hips was going. I was like, oh, I need something that's going to stick. What happened to Dream's results is pretty common. It's actually the natural progression of most BBLs. Do you perform Brazilian butt lifts at your practice? I absolutely do. I just finished doing a procedure about, about two hours ago. That's Dr. Kelly Bolden, a licensed plastic and reconstructive surgeon in the Washington, D.C. area. Dr. Bolden has been practicing since 2011. Now, at the time that Dream got her first BBL, she didn't know what it would take to keep it looking like new. Dr. Bolden says in a world where surgery is seen as a quick fix, that aftercare and maintenance, it often gets overlooked. The biggest portion of upkeep is maintain a stable weight because significant weight loss or weight gain can affect your results. With BBLs or with fat transfer in general, the average person will keep anywhere between 50 to 70% of the fat that you graft. So depending on what shape and size you're looking for, some people will require more than one procedure. And needing multiple procedures can also increase the risk. According to the Aesthetic Surgery Education and Research Foundation, BBLs have the highest mortality rate of any cosmetic surgery in the U.S. The unreliable long-term results can also lead people to look for alternative solutions. When Dream couldn't keep the weight on where she wanted it, she ended up choosing a more drastic option. So I went the legal route, and it was not the best decision. I do not recommend getting butt shots. Please don't ever do it. It is so painful. It feels like you got ran off my truck. Now, I know you've definitely heard of butt shots before. Remember Nicki Minaj's verse in Ass, where she said it's finally solved? Kiss my ass and my anus, cause it's finally famous, and it's finally solved. Yeah, it's finally solved. I don't know, man, kiss them ass shots wore off. Bitches ain't popping. Unlike a BBL that injects someone's own fat from another part of their body, butt shots are injections that can be made up of any number of foreign materials. 
things ranging from hyaluronic acids, which are FDA approved, to silicones, gels, or mineral oils, which are definitely not. They do give you tremendous amount of volume, but they're very dangerous because, again, your body recognizes them as foreign, foreign material, and it tends to wall them off, especially when you're not doing it in a, in a medical setting because a lot of times they don't tell you what it is. It can have very, very catastrophic complications. Dream found herself on the bad side of those complications. She ended up in the hospital. What was the, what was the pain like? A hundred. Whatever the highest number you could put is the highest number. Highest number. Like during the pain, I couldn't take the pain. And I was like um, getting fevers and I'd be in the hospital and nobody knew. I, they didn't know what was wrong with me. You know, because I, I didn't feel comfortable telling them I did that. <laughs> yeah. This was a turning point for Dream, where she felt the cost of trying to achieve the unattainable. Dream realized that going under the knife illegally was giving the male gaze more than its pound of flesh. So I just tried to find somebody to take it out, and they were like, that was a problem. You know, it's a foreign object, so you got to remove it one day. After this scary, painful experience and realizing she put more value in these standards than her own health, Dream was determined to never repeat this mistake and to show other girls who wanted to get these surgeries the whole process, not just the pretty results. You have to get your massages with her, okay? And in 2019, she started vlogging her whole journey to remove her shots and get a new BBL. And this shit hurts. Off of the most disturbing part of the day. Getting my shots removed was the best thing that I ever did in my life. And that's why I vlogged a lot about surgery because it's like, even like with removing like anything like butt shots or anything, like people don't talk about that. It's crazy. When you take it out, it looks disgusting. It literally looks like chicken grizzle. That's what my sister said it looks like. But probably overtold so my experience when I when I went to Columbia. Even when I was in the recovery house, you know, um, being a little bit too free speeched. But I just felt like maybe it took me to go through it to like want to help other people. But now I'm a hundred percent product free. And um, I'm just trying to help any females out there that did make the mistake that I did. and did So far, Dream has had four rounds of removal. And the openness in her vlogs has helped to demystify butt shots and removals for a lot of people. In fact, others have started to come to her for advice. Even people, girls that I thought they didn't like me, they're like, girl, can you please help me? I'm like, okay, still help them because I have a good heart at the end of the day. <laughs> and, did, and no one helped you, right? So you wanted no to help No one helped others. me, and that's why I think I did it, because it's like no one helped me, but maybe this might help somebody. And talking with others helped Dream, too, because it gave her a chance to reflect. I went through the stage of wanting a big butt and big boobs, you know, really embellish my body, to now I just want to remove everything and be back to my... It's like... I wish I could rewind back time and get my natural body back. Like, I really want my natural body back, and I'm trying, but it's just, like, it's, be, it's not easy. As she's gotten older and left toxic exes in the dust, she's caught on to the Catch-22 of it. Dream sees the power that her body gave her, and she sees the power she gave to the male gaze. So looking back, would you not get any surgeries at all? Is that what you're saying? I don't know, because I don't know if I would be where I am today. Mm. Yep. I think it's really brave how you talk about this. Yeah, I don't care. You can um, judge me. It don't matter. 
So that's really what Life in Plastic 3 is about. Acknowledging that Catch-22 and moving through it anyway. And then Life in Plastic 3, the cover art. And Life in Plastic it. 3 is the doll head done, the finished project. It's wrapped up, saran wrapped. That's why I'm, I'm saran wrapped on the thing. You know, now she's ready to brush her hair. She got the nail polish. She's polished. And she's ready to go out there and venture and to a new world. Yeah. I wanted to let her go. And that's how I came up with Misunderstood. I try to take a jab at being vulnerable just because there's some people that still discovering me, even after hearing me today. Like, you know, people still discover me. They don't really know my story. So I wanted to reintroduce my story to the fresh, fresh ears and be vulnerable. Before I get any of it, I need some ass and some tits. I ain't ashamed of it. I learned a game from it. Double D's dream doll made my name from it. Learned a game from it. How the snakes suck you. How the streets got no love, but they will fuck you. Fuck that. I got struck, so I struck back. I don't believe in bad luck. So what I really had to learn, like, you can't do anything for anyone's pleasures. You have to just love yourself and do it for yourself. If you want to get that BBL, baby, go get that BBL. And that's that. For Dream, the surgeries are not the root of the problem. It's the pressure. And she's working on tuning out that pressure and focusing on what she wants. What's right for her music, her career, and her body. Natural or not. But there's nothing the male gaze hates more than being ignored. One Atlanta artist learned that the hard way. After this, baby tape. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. I'm never going to put a knife to this body because it's like, for what? God did a great job. That's baby Tate. And she is not aspiring to the industry standard that says you got to have your stomach on flat, flat, ass on what's that. I want to be that representation to let people know you don't have to. And you can still be as glamorous as you want to be without fitting into literally this cookie-cutter image. Tate turns her middle finger to the male gaze on the regular. The Atlanta artist brings that energy to her music, too. She's unapologetic in praising herself, her body, and her all-around badassery. Don't lie on me, body right, don't need no word, word, word. One of her biggest songs to date is all about self-affirmation. But something that happened in 2021 made it clear the male gaze was still going to come for her joy. 
this, let's start at the very beginning. Like, mm-hmm. do you remember getting the the call or the the invitation to to perform at Afropunk? I do remember being excited about Afropunk because I'd always been to Afropunk and loved going. And this was my first time doing Atlanta on the big stage. And so I was super excited about it. And if you've ever been to Afropunk, especially in Atlanta, the scene, the the outfits, every it's just so free. It's so free. Yeah, Afropunk. I mean, it's like a festival made for us by us. And the lineup for Atlanta that year was fire. Wale, Rico Nasty, Fouché. And you know, the cats that go, they on a different level too. Baby Tate was just the same. She had an original fit laid out in her mind like the first day of school. I started, you know, getting outfits together. I had ordered these bubblegum pink Rick Owens boots. And I was like, I'm going to wear these. And I think I had an outfit that I was going to wear at a different show. But I was like, no, I'm going to wear it at Afropunk with these boots and it's going to be perfect. Until those bubblegum pink Rick Owens boots showed up the day before in the wrong color. And I was so sad because now my entire outfit is ruined. And now I have to find something else to wear. So she called up a designer to get a whole new fit last minute. And the next day, they came through with a backup. A custom-made cheetah print fit and a matching floor-length puffer coat. Bow. Now this fit was not meant for the body shot. It was a halter-neck crop top with matching low-rise pants made of this skin-tight, stretchy material and a black G-string. Tate literally had to squeeze into it, and it was designed to be bold and revealing, leaving parts of her midsection totally exposed. It was very, very weird trying to get it on. I'm literally just, like, twisting these two, basically these two chaps that were supposed to go around my neck and then have, like, these this little thong piece Yeah, Tate was trying to live out her Disney Channel dreams and serve sexy Cheetah Girl, but the vision wasn't quite coming together right. We were literally running late, so I was like, I gotta go. There's nothing else I can do. There's nothing else I can wear. I have nothing else. So it wasn't—the way that I'm wearing it was not how it's supposed to look. Like, I don't think my stomach was supposed to be even out like that. As Tate scrambled to get ready, out in the crowd, a photographer named Megan Something was just pulling up. This was my first time at Afropunk. As far as festival atmosphere, it's probably one of the coolest I've ever been in because everybody was just being themselves. Honestly, I think I arrived right uh, as she was going on stage. I got uh, walked into the pit. Everybody was, like, hyping her up, like, yelling her name or just, like, singing the words to her song. Megan loved how free Tate looked. Sporting a candy-striped pink wig and some fly-ass sunglasses, Tate rapped, sang, and got the crowd going wild. I hate to call people, oh, you're so confident. I know that's annoying, but I guess that's what just stuck out in my head. It's like, she's on stage in front of all these people with her stomach out, and like people are like really judgmental. She doesn't have a six pack, or she doesn't have an extremely flat stomach, so the fact that she came out here just shows like what kind of person she is. Just like a carefree, like kind of like, I love my body, and that's what it is. Tate was given all that, totally unbothered. 
I'm not about to back down. I'm not about to say, oh, I can't perform because my stomach's out. No, I'm about to go in on that stage and I'm going to kill it, period. So that's what it was. And when I came out, oh, my God, everybody in the crowd was screaming. And I think people seeing me out there like that in person was like, wow, this girl right here really just came out like this with this long puffer coat. I looked great, honestly. My name is Baby Tate. Um, you know, today I pulled up in uh, the pink pussy cheat delicious drip. Yeah. But normally, you know, I pull up in a little rainbow Cadillac. And for me, I was having a great time. I was on top of the world after the performance because people loved it. After Tate set, Megan took her camera, circulated through the festival a little bit. I was trying to find people to take pictures of, like, with their outfits, and I happened to turn around, and she, she was standing there, and she had, like, a line of people waiting to meet her. And so I was just, like, snapping pictures of them, like, meeting her or talking to her, and you're hearing the conversations, and, you know, they're like, oh, my God, you know, you look good, sis. I'm so excited to meet you. And I, I even asked her, I said, hey, can I uh, take some pictures of you? And she was like, sure. I was like, your set was really dope. So the festival's a wrap. Megan flies home, still vibing from her first Afropunk. When she sits down to edit her photos from the festival, Tate stand out. She looks like a boss, totally in command. But it still doesn't stop Megan from worrying. And I honestly was hesitant on posting them and that is simply because I know how harsh people are mm. certain ones I was like maybe I'll leave these out or maybe I'll crop it mm. I know how critical people are of women in hip hop mm. I watch it all the time and so I was like I do not want to add fuel to the fire to where she's getting dragged so I actually had picked some different ones than the ones I ended up posting and they were like cropped like tighter so mm. it didn't show like her stomach and I know that sounds bad, but I really just was like, I do not want any problems. <laughs> like, I know right. how mean people are online. So I was like, I don't want it to be because of me. If that ain't the male gaze on 1000, Megan's looking out for baby Tate by self-censoring her own photography because she knows the trolls will be lurking. So did it make you upset that you had to, like, police your, your work like that because you knew that it would be criticized by the internet? A little bit, because it's like you would like to freely post the work that you did and they were nice pictures. It wasn't like she looked bad to me or anything. She didn't look bad. While Megan held back her photos, baby Tate let them rip. She posted the full photos, uncropped. It wasn't until I posted pictures on my Instagram that you get the trolls and the haters, because that's where they live on the internet. They don't live in real life. It just blew up into something even bigger and getting comments from people that don't got nothing to do with nothing. And the comments kept coming, too. She can lose 10 pounds. You should work that belly off, though. And most of these comments, they were from other women. That's the thing about the male gaze. It doesn't care whose eyes it's looking through. Shit. Sometimes internalized misogynoir comes for the girls, too. A lot of times people just enjoy disrespecting women, <laughs> uh, especially black women. It's just like a, 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 a battle that we have to go through just because 
especially now with social media, people think it's fun. It's like, woohoo, let's all join in and bash on the black woman. Kiki, kiki, ki. Whether you go the surgery route or you're rocking the body God gave you, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. It's like there's no way for women to just be. And for us, it's like, you all are having fun, but this is my life. This is my livelihood. This is my mental and emotional health. And people don't care. You're not about to talk to me crazy and just walk away. No, come back to your phone. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say something, too. Man, she came back for the trolls hard. She lit one coming up so bad, typing, Girl, you should mind your business and work your money up so you can stop wearing synthetic wigs. Don't tell me what to do with my body, you feel-to-face, creepy-looking gremlin. I started off on the low road. I'm not going to lie. I definitely did. I was <laughs> clapping back at people like, you need to go feed your kids. I don't know why you're worried about what I'm eating. I was definitely clapping back. Megan was watching all this go down on the TL. The reaction to Tate's photos went exactly like she thought it would. Let's focus on um, the music. These yeah. women can rap, like for real. But we can't even get past that because we're so busy. What was she wearing here and why? Or what? Like, what is this outfit? Or what does she look like? Or... I've even seen when people have had bad makeup days, a bad hair day, and it's just like they're torn apart. What yeah. about that rapper that got a bad lineup? You don't hear nothing about that. It's <laughs> a lot of bad lineups. <laughs> right. So well, we don't hear about that, though. We're going to hear about how her lace wasn't melted, though, and who yeah. did her makeup. So when you saw Tate posting so openly and, like, clapping back on the trolls and all that, like, did, did that kind of give you the go-ahead to go ahead and let your pics out? Yes, I saw it. She was trending. And I was just like, what is she trending for? And then I went and looked. I was like, oh, wow. As soon as I saw it, uh, I said, okay, let me go ahead then. Because she's she's with it. So that's when I actually posted my carousel. People were like, thank you for posting these because now we can see what a real body looks like. And the comments of support kept rolling in, not just from Tate's fans, but from big names that Tate's a fan of. Rihanna reaching out to me was totally left field. Oh, yeah. You heard right. Rihanna. I was not expecting that at all. And uh, she was, you know, I think the the biggest artist to reach out to me. But I definitely had a lot of different other peers that reached out and just saying, like, you know, your, your body is beautiful, sis. That moment really almost definitely did a 180 from what people thought it was going to do. They thought it was gonna, I was going to be crying in the RR, crying on the bus, and going to the doctor, getting surgery. Nope. So Tate posted a new pic on Instagram. We asked her to read the caption for us. As Queen B once said, want to see some real ass? Baby, here's your chance. Shout out to all my natural bellied bodies. I see you. I am you. I love you. No matter what my body looks like, it is mine and I love it. Please go project your insecurities onto a piece of paper, burn it and throw it away. Then go look in the mirror and tell yourself how much you are loved. Heart emoji. When I had that moment at Afropunk and people were talking about my outfit and my body and my stomach, since then, I have not worked out a day. Like, not one day have I worked out. And I almost have done it purposely. Like, you know what? Actually, I was working out, but now y'all going to have to see this flab on my stomach. Y'all should have just been quiet. Yeah. <laughs> because now you're going to see it for real. But... 
I'm going to yeah. get back into working out because it is something that I enjoy. But just for a time, I was like, that is crazy that y'all even did that to me. So mm -hmm. I'm going to just live. I'm going to just live my life because I should be able to. There are so many literally obese male rappers that exactly. like nobody bats an eye. Nobody says a thing to them and they shouldn't because at the end of the day, it's nobody's business. We are not doctors. I don't like to say body positivity because I think that adds a bit of like false expectations into it because nobody has to be positive about your body. I don't have to think your body looks great, but what I do have to do is accept that that's your body. There you go. You know, and you have to accept that this is mine and I have to accept my own. So I like to say it's all about body acceptance for me and, um, you know, self-acceptance. It's like, do you like it? Okay, cool. You like it. I love it, baby. Okay. And uh, for me, it's just like, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to walk out and I like it. The male gaze is a shapeshifter, a slippery trickster, and it polices in ever-changing ways. For Dream, it took the form of her toxic preteen boyfriend, criticizing her body in a way that never really left her. For Tate, it was a nameless, filter-faced mob on the internet that couldn't handle even an ounce of body fat. But what happens when the male gaze goes corporate, built into your contract and all up in the fine print? Dochi gets into that next. This message is brought to you by Apple Pay. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the Wallet app and you're good to go. Support for NPR comes from FX with Shogun an original series based on the novel by James Clavell. FX's Shogun is an epic saga of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan, starring Hiroyuki Sanada and Anna Sawai, now streaming on Hulu. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXLLearning.com. I've kind of morphed myself into realizing the power of being the black bitch and realizing the power of being painted as the villain. That's Tampa's own Dochi. And she is one of them ones. I just stepped on all of you bitches. I blew 50 racks in one summer. I think I deserve a new Hummer. I still clap for bitches I'm front of. That rap bitch must be the new runner. Now they can't predict how I'll start. Just make sure it's just with my lunch. Diamonds busting out to my front. She's not only one of the latest signees to powerhouse rap label TDE, she's also their first woman on the roster. Who raps? She had to be nice to earn that spot. And she knows it. Bitch, I'm nice. Got a bitch cleaned up day. That nigga might got racks, but he ain't my type. I'm the best thing in your life. Know this pussy good and it purr, but it still got bite. Come through, double no sight. Get it, bitch, good and it good. I knew that Kendrick was leaving around that time. And I felt like I was ready to carry on that legacy of TDE. And be that in hip-hop for TDE. And 
introduce and usher in the next rap girl that's going to be on TDE. Because I'm telling you, my vision is I want the girls on TDE to take over. Right now, it's majority men. But my vision for the next hip-hop girl on TDE is for us to dominate and take this brand to the next level. From the minute Dochi signed, she was throwing around big ideas for her look, her sound, and her message. I realized people have always called me crazy when they don't understand what I'm doing or they want me to feel they want me to feel bad about the boldness or the ambition or the the audacity. Dochi channeled that energy into her debut single, Crazy. Yeah, this song is hard, confident and chaotic. It calls out all the doubt and double standards she's always faced as an artist. I wanted to take that word and reframe that energy and let y'all know that, yeah, I am crazy. I'm absolutely crazy. She wanted to push the idea even further when it came time to make visuals for crazy. I wanted to recreate this tarot card. It's the star tarot card. There's a woman who's naked bending in the water, and this is her at her fullest potential. And I wanted to introduce myself to the world and debut my first single, Naked, as a symbol of vulnerability, but also ultimate power. Doji's idea for the nudity in Crazy wasn't meant to be sexual or pleasurable to the male gaze, but powerfully in opposition to it. I do not want this choreography to be sexual at all. That's not what I want. I want it to be weird. I want it to be abstract. I want it to scare people. This challenges a lot of our ingrained notions about nudity and Black women's bodies in hip-hop. As TDE started to look for a director to execute this vision, the difficulty to find someone, it gave them a hint of how hard it was going to be. A lot of directors were afraid. They kept trying to talk me out of it. I don't think you should do this because censorship and da-da-da-da. They just were scared. Even though it was annoying for Dochi, it high-key made sense that they were scared. In the streaming era, for a video to even make an impact and make monetary sense, it's got to do well on YouTube. And as a platform, YouTube has a pretty awful track record for policing black bodies. Yeah, I mean, the platform was literally started so that people could get a second look at Janet Jackson's nipple back in 2004. So to pull off crazy... Doji was going to have to confront some deeply entrenched massage noir, which the industry she's entering basically runs on. But again, the subversion of this standard is exactly what Doji was going for. And luckily, she found somebody down to go to war with her. C. Prince was like really for it. She understood it. And I think that's why she wasn't scared because she got it and she saw how important it was. I was hell bent on being naked and C. Prince was the only person who was actually willing to support it and understand it and not be afraid to do it. Femmes are sort of under undeniable, inescapable gaze at the body. And like we have to carry on doing all of the, the things that we do with that gaze on us. That's Sarah Prince, a.k.a. C. Prince, a director and choreographer out of L.A., C's worked with acts like Billie Eilish, The Weeknd, and Chloe Bailey. And when she heard Crazy, ideas for the video came flooding in. And it was sort of my mission to charge the bodies and charge the story in a way that you almost forgot about the nudity. C's concept was right on time with Dochi's tarot cards. 
Except Doji had one specific note for C. I had pitched this as sort of all skin colors, and she was like, no, I want all black cast. Everybody should be included, right? Everybody should be included all the time. But then there are just some stories that are for a specific group of people. And for this video, I wanted to curate a space specifically for black women, dark skin, black women of all different colors, but black women specifically. That's what I wanted to focus on. I wanted it to be for us, by us, danced by us, created by us. The vision was coming together and it was really looking like they were all set to challenge the status quo. But in a not so surprising twist, the status quo tried to come for them before they even got started. And the call came from inside the house. Yeah, one week before they were set to get started shooting, C was asked to join a last-minute Zoom call. You know, everybody's on the line. Everyone, like, you know, 10, 11 people there. And I'm like, what's this about? I get on, and Musa is, like, saying some concerns from, I think, a label perspective, a management perspective, and also for Dochi. I want to protect her. If you want complete honesty right now. That's Musa Tiffith, president of TDE, and the one who brought Dochi to the label. I don't, like, I didn't, uh, for some reason, we wasn't aware she was going to be naked the entire shoot, right? So I don't think it was more so of concern of how it's going to come off. Just It just was a moment to where we just didn't. No, like, hey, how did we let this slip under the rug that she's going to be naked the entire time? It's easy to write off Musa's apprehension to Dochi's idea as fear. But when you think about it, that's exactly how structural patriarchy brainwashes us to move. Fighting that instinct was the whole point of the project. So C doubled down. And something, like, ignited in me. And I was like, I think we absolutely have to. Yeah, that was a that was a huge moment because I almost backed out, but I knew I didn't want to. And had she not said that, I think I wouldn't have. Nah, I would have did that shit. <laughs> but yeah, I needed that. It felt so intense and I felt emotional. Like I almost wanted to cry because it just showed me again. This is why the video is so important. The power of women coming together and supporting each other and being there. When I got scared and shook up and it was like a bunch of men and people on the line with us you know who were giving their reasons well I think we shouldn't and did it up because blah 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 and the numbers blah, blah, blah. here comes C Prince being my hero and saying no this is why we do need to do it and it was like only two of us against all of them so they move forward no compromises after many months of prep and rehearsal it was finally the day of the crazy video shoot. I woke up that morning and I prayed. That was the first thing I did. I prayed and I thanked God. And I asked God to show me what the end of the day would look like. When God showed me that, I was grateful for it. Like, okay, I accept it. Let's go. They shot the video for crazy for almost 14 hours. The video opens with Dochi shooting somebody in the head with a handgun. And bam, everything just ramps up. Smashing cars, setting things on fire. Shooting machine guns, putting out cigarettes on their skin. It feels like total anarchy. Yeah, like an army of black women raging war in an empty parking lot just because they can, just because they feel like it. There's this chaotic communal energy to everything that's happening. And they're doing all of this while completely naked. Like I'm literally showing this symbol. It ain't even symbolism. It's very obviously like this girl is vulnerably naked 
without and there's like guns in the video we wanted to do this contrast where like usually if somebody's like shooting or there's guns or war people have on armor and i wanted to symbolize how me coming into the industry as vulnerable as i am i'm coming to y'all with no armor and you could shoot me and you could kill me right now and i would be done for we get to the end of the video where the viewer finds out that the woman Dochi shot at the start of the film was actually Dochi herself. And even the cycle of death, like when I die, you die, especially with women in hip hop. You kill one, you kind of killing yourself. It's like what Beyonce said, don't hurt yourself. Hurting me is hurting you. When the video shoot wrapped, everybody was proud of what they'd done. But now there was one more hurdle to overcome. TDE had to prepare to release it. I had a label rep send YouTube the video ahead of time. They told us no, that they, they just couldn't. Like they couldn't allow it to trend because the women were naked in the video. But I mean, technically they're, they're covered up. You know what I mean? In my mind, I've seen worse things on YouTube, but I won't even dive into that. But we definitely uh, had several conversations with them going back and forth for probably about a good two weeks but they just were firm on what they were saying. Like, hey, unless it's a way you guys can VFX some clothes onto these ladies, then we can't allow it. YouTube didn't budge. The video was age-restricted, which meant it was not eligible to trend. And that's a big hit to its searchability. Even just visibility. We reached out to a representative from YouTube who denied our interview request for this story But when we asked what specifically about this video broke their community guidelines, they pointed us to the platform's nudity and sexual content policy, which reads, quote, explicit content meant to be sexually gratifying is not allowed on YouTube. Y'all see the whole irony of this, right? Sexually gratifying? Dochi's entire thesis in making this video was to combat the male gaze. And they just saw it as the same thing anyway. The crazy video dropped on YouTube on April 8th, 2022. Take me to the day when the video finally drops. Like, we're out of post-production and someone's about to hit upload. Like, what are you feeling in that moment? Ooh, child. I wish I had a more heroic answer, but I was scared. I was scared, girl. I was scared. I was so scared because I was like, oh, my God, like, I didn't tell my family. My mom knew about the concept, but I didn't tell my family. So I was just like, I'm scared that people are going to be hurt by it. You know, even though it's an important message for me, I was just scared that I would hurt people's feelings or I would offend black women and they wouldn't get it because they misunderstood me. But it turned out being the opposite. And they actually really, really fucked with it. And a lot of black women actually said they needed to see it. A lot of black girls said that they just love to see a dark-skinned black girl in a in a non-sexualized way. And I thought that was dope. But that's if they even got to see it. This was deadass supposed to be Dochi's industry coming out party. Instead, the crazy video didn't pop off like it should have. And because of YouTube's community guidelines, it never hit the homepage. It didn't trend. And without that visibility, it definitely didn't start the dialogue Dochi had hoped for. So how does the shadow ban, whatever we want to call it, 
What does that say about the way that Black women's bodies are still being policed, even in a time when there's so much visibility for women in hip-hop? The same thing that I feel like crazy was held back for, I've seen worse. I just have seen worse on YouTube. And not even worse saying that crazy was bad, because it's not. It's just I've seen really out-of-pocket things trend and go crazy on YouTube. And I just don't understand... I still have trouble digesting and processing, like, why that happened with my video, you know? And I'd like a specific answer, but it doesn't work like that. And I'm like, maybe it's because I'm a small artist. Maybe it's because I tried to tell myself it's so many other things. I don't want to feel like it's because I'm a black woman, you know? I don't know. I'm still unpacking that. But it does hurt my feelings. This hypocrisy Dochi's talking about, it really ain't that hard to see. You just got to look past the veil of the male gaze. Childish Gambino's This Is America, Cardi B's Press, or Lil Nas X's Industry Baby. There's a lot of nudity and violence on YouTube on the daily, even on videos with strong political or social messages, like the one Dochi was trying to make. And that's when not even count the amount of videos full of rappers just using vixens as props. But when you take a closer look, it feels like there's a common thread. Community standards are enforced differently if you're a high-profile man or trying to get the attention of men. If you're not appealing to the male gaze, you're not rewarded on the platform. And in the age of streaming and algorithms, being seen on this platform, it determines a lot for your career. This is how institutions are able to reinforce that black film bodies are and should always be seen as inherently sexual. There's so much censorship with this video and policing black bodies, black women's bodies. How does that affect what you do creatively and what the the types of themes you spearhead and you push in your mm-hmm. music? I guess, like, it doesn't affect my creativity. I'm, I'm still going to keep pushing these messages. I'm still going to keep challenging these systems and challenging these ideals that people have. I'm going to keep giving them that pushback. But, I mean, it does affect me because, look, look what happened to the censorship. Now less people can see it because of that, because of these rules and things that are in place. So it's not going to affect my creativity, but it is going to affect the amount of people that are able to experience my art. Does any part of it ignite you to push even further with the messages in your art? 100%. 100%. Because it's it's like, I don't know, I feel like I'm kind of fighting in a in a war and like I just feel like I have a purpose to continuously keep doing that and this is goes back to the point of why I'm making the type of music I make and why I put out these type of visuals is because I want it to be to a point where black women specifically can be limitlessly creative and we don't have to be policed you know I want that for Doji I want that for Dream Doll and Tate too hell I want that for everybody living under the male gaze Even though it's undeniable that there are more women in rap right now, finding their voice and taking up space, the structures that make it hard for them to do their job and be as limitless and creative as they want to be are still as rigid as ever. We've talked to dozens of rappers while making this season. And what's become clear is they want to be left alone to make their art on their terms, whatever that looks like. Right. Your body is for nobody but you. So how can you reclaim the gaze or live your life ignoring its presence? And how does that square with how sex sells? Especially in hip-hop. One way 
is celebrating your body and having full control over what you do with it. But that's a fight that goes back forever in hip-hop. And you know what? We talked to one of the first to do it. I got to make sure I stand on what I believe. Like, my say-so got to matter. Because here I am with a label, and it's all men. So they're always thinking from a guy's perspective. But I have a different perspective. And y'all need to listen. Let's be nasty. Let's be raw. Let's be unfiltered. Let's have fun. Trina takes us through rule number four. That's next week on Louder Than a Riot. Louder Than a Riot is hosted by me, Sydney Madden, and Rodney Carmichael. This episode was written by myself, Rodney, and Gabby Bulgarelli. And it was produced by Gabby Bulgarelli and Sam J. Leeds. Our senior producer is Gabby Bulgarelli. Our producers are Sam J. Leeds and Lono Sundaresen. Our editor is Soraya Shockley, with additional editing from Sam J. Leeds. And our engineers are Gilly Moon and Josh Newell. Our senior supervising producer is Cher Vincent. Our interns are Jose Sandoval, Teresa Shia, and Pilar Galvan, with help from Jerusalem Truth. And the NPR execs are Keith Jenkins, Yolanda Sanguini, and Anya Grunman. Original theme by Casa Overall, remixed by Suzy Analog. And the scoring for this episode was provided by Suzy Analog and Casa Overall. Our digital editor is Jacob Gans, and our fact checker is Greta Pittenger. If you like this episode, if you want to talk back, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Louder Than a Riot. And if you want to email us, we're at louder at npr.org. From NPR Music, I'm Rodney Carmine. And I'm Sydney Madden. And this is Louder Than a Riot. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. And NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.